You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Apologies to my Facebook friends who probably might have read about this incident. It happened just a short time ago with Bev and I. Uh, we wanted to see the movie Exodus. And um, uh, I, uh, we, we go to the movies a lot, as some of you know. So uh, how do we do movie tickets? Online, of course. Been doing it for years, years and years and years. Uh, went online, got the tickets, got the, got the session time, uh, got the printout, got to the, got to the theatre. We, we have an event cinema complex near us, the Marion Cinema Complex, went to the theatre. Young man in the semi-dark, saw the sheep, yep, Cinema 3 up there. When we walked in, and we're always on time, like things were happening. It, it, it clearly had started. And unless the children of Israel left Egypt in Hummers, uh, this, this wasn't... Exodus. But amazingly, our seats were, were available. And I said to the lady next to me, is this Exodus? And she said, no. And she said something that I, I didn't understand. I didn't know which movie she was talking about. We didn't see Exodus, but we made a hasty Exodus uh, at that point. And out in the, in, in the hallway, it, it came to light. Well, well, it came to light to Bev. She gets these things much quicker than I do. Uh, Yes, I'd gone online confidently as I always had for the last 16 years and booked for by Macquarie. The Macquarie Event Cinema Complex. <laughs> Not the Marion Cinema Complex. So you talk about transitions, Sam. Some things are we're just adjusting to some things. So and event cinemas were very kind, refunded the whole thing and so on, but you know, just a bizarre kind of look, I've always been fascinated. Always we talk about journeys and decisions. Always been fascinated by the story of the ancient Israelites under the leadership of Moses. I, I find this, this story is, is it's just amazing. You know, their departure from Egypt, their wilderness wanderings, their eventual entry into the promised land. I often think as a leader how it must have been for Moses. I mean, how tough would that job be, leading hundreds of thousands of people through the desert? We pick up the story here in Numbers 13 and the reading read to us by Richard as the spies are sent into the promised land just to suss out the place. That's fair enough. And this is a climactic event. They've been on the move for about 12 months. Prior to that, of course, 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And uh, they'd crossed the Red Sea. Meanwhile, since their exodus, they'd been fed by manna, that kind of heavenly neutral grain that they had been able to gather in the desert. And God had revealed himself in a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. Miraculous. I mean, it was very clear this was a God-ordained thing. They were in his will, in his hands. He was guiding them. That must have been as clear as the bell or should have been. And here they are on the verge of potentially entering the promised land. They send in the 12 spies and the report comes back from the spies. Look, it's a great land. It's flowing with milk and honey and everything's, everything's great. But look, the people are powerful. They're giant-like. It's going to be impossible to conquer this land. Everybody said that except two, Joshua and Caleb. Young parents, think about those names for your babies. That's a good, strong, biblical name, positive people. Joshua, Caleb. Well, they came back. They were the only ones who spoke positively. Numbers 13, 30 to 32. Let me refresh your memory. Caleb silenced the people who were complaining against Moses. And he said, we should attack now and take the land. We are strong enough to conquer it. But the men who'd gone with Caleb said, no. We are not strong enough to attack them. The people there are more powerful than we are. So they spread a false report among the Israelites about the land they had explored. Friends, can you believe that? 
I mean, after all they'd been through, the miracles they'd seen, the deliverances they had experienced, what was happening? What brought about this doubt? I think we have to analyse this and say, look, this was a defining moment in the life of the Israelites. They were confronted by a series of decisions. Up until then, most of the decisions had been made for them. Parting of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, you know, God was looking after the whole thing. Now, at the one year mark, the pressure was on them to make a choice. Were they going to trust or not? Were they going to fulfil their destiny or not? Were they going to achieve that for which they had longed for generations? Freedom, independence, a new land. Were they going to go for it or were they going to fall back? Were they going to go back to to captivity, back to the oppressive, harsh conditions that had inhibited them as a people for generations? The choices amid the conflicting voices were very, very stark and very, very real. And it's at this critical juncture in their history, that the Israelites become the first people, not the last, but the first people to suffer from what we might affectionately call the grasshopper syndrome. Uh, the, the grass, now, now, this is a condition of the, of the mind and the heart, previously undiagnosed, which has since been proven to be more virulent than any disease you can mention among some people, among some companies and organisations among some churches, this syndrome can spread with the speed and the impact of the most serious epidemic you can imagine. The origin of the grasshopper syndrome, well, of course, it's right here in Numbers 13, verses 32 and 33. Look at this. These are the negative spies speaking. Everyone we saw was very tall. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. We felt small as grasshoppers, and that is how we must have looked to them. How impressive were these guys from Anak? Tall, strong, doubtless very fearsome looking. Have you ever been in a, in a setting where you're surrounded by really, really tall people? I remember uh, years ago I was flying from um, Melbourne to uh, Adelaide and just in the departure lounge where I was, the Adelaide 36ers were preparing to board. As you all know, that's the Adelaide basketball team. Uh, you all knew that, didn't you? Uh, the Adelaide 36ers. These guys are giants, you know, and they're sort of all collecting their bags up. And I'm, you feel quite intimidated in, in the company of, of, of really, really tall people. But, you know, there's a, there's a worse form of intimidation with giants. And you know what I'm talking about when I say that we face the giants, many giants in the course of our lives. And some of you have faced these giants and are facing these giants right now. I'm talking about the problems, the setbacks, the disappointments, those times when our world seems to cave in and we're just overwhelmed by the pressures of living. It might be a health issue. It might be a relationship problem. It might be financial struggles, a family crisis of one kind or another, a major upheaval, huge changes, change of job, change of home, change of direction, a divorce, a death, a bereavement. I know this congregation, except the new people have joined. I'm looking forward to getting to know you. But I know that we represent in this congregation all of these things, these emotional, spiritual giants that, that come upon us. These are the giants that inevitably confront us emotionally and, and in a physical sense in some cases, usually resulting in other more sinister forms of giants and they are the spiritual giants when we can get off course in our relationship with God and we can wonder where he is and what's he doing and how come I can't feel him anymore. 
You know what that's like. I know what that's like. We felt as small as grasshoppers, said the spies. In other words, we felt like tiny, helpless little insects. That was the testimony of the spies. And here were the people of Israel, faced with the conflicting voices, but needing to make courageous choices. And friends, that's how it is for us as individuals and as a church. You see, when faced with seemingly insurmountable odds, the choices are clear. And I want to outline several of them for you. The choices are clear. Are we going to respond on the basis of fear or on the basis of faith? It's staggering, or staggering as it seems, despite the awesome expressions of God's power and presence in their midst, here are the Israelites responding to fear. Just a few, it only took a handful of negative voices, just a handful, to, for the people to revert to, their, to the fear mode. You know, look, I've been in meetings where some Christ-honouring, kingdom-expanding, exciting venture has been proposed and people are starting to get on board and there's a little bit of traction happening and then it only takes one voice, one voice, a negative voice to totally change the tide. Have you been in meetings like that? It's very frightening <laughs> because fear is a very real thing. One of the most humorous ones I ever recall was when I was in my 20s and both Bev and I, I think we were still engaged, I think we were married, and we were both on the youth department of the Churches of Christ in Queensland. And that was a great privilege. We were representative of the youth in those days. And and one of the great assets of the youth department was this magnificent campsite up at Caloundra. It was called Camp Cal. And it was right opposite Dickey Beach, if you know that area, but beautiful campsite. And our director decided to come up with a proposal to raise some money by putting some motel units along the front of the, the site. We had plenty of room. Motel units that would be a, a source of income and, and give us more resources to continue the work of the Lord. He presented the motion at conference, our state conference. Uh, it was a fantastically thought out motion. We were all there to cheer him on. I think I might have seconded it or something. And the, the buy-in was pretty strong. And... And people were speaking in favour and thought it was a great idea. And then one person, I forget where this man was from, probably some remote Queensland town, I would say. And he got up and said, Mr. President, I must object. Number one, I don't think that's our area of operation to get into the commercial world. Would have had a problem here. Uh, That's for sure. He said, secondly... We all know what goes on in motels. (laughs) I remember thinking, I thought that went on anywhere. Like, yeah, I didn't think that was just restricted to motels. And then the murmuring started. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, is that what? Yeah. I I forget what the. Actually, we didn't build a motel. We built some units, but uh, maybe it didn't go on there. I don't know. Uh, Maybe there's a change of name. You know. Well, look, of course we need dissenting voices, of course. And and of course, every good idea needs to be rigorously tested and put under the microscope, of course. But it's always easier to hide behind an excuse born out of fear than it is to grasp an opportunity that requires faith and courage. That's always a much easier choice. Friends, a faith step into the, is always a step into the unknown, and that can be pretty scary. I heard an interesting comment recently on Q&A. Yes, my favourite program, uh, for those who were here in July. Um, this guy said that um, among the political leaders today, particularly in the West, there's a, a sort of a, a new dynamic emerging. 
a lot of political leaders today, he said it's based on the, on the concept of nope, N-O-P-E, nope versus hope. And he said a lot of political leaders in the Western world, particularly today, are more interested in their own self-preservation and the preservation of their party than they are in making courageous decisions, which although painful in the short term, will inevitably and ultimately be for the benefit of the nation. They're lacking the courage to do that. So it's nope versus hope. It was a, it was a compelling argument, I, I felt. Um, what about that, that speech from uh, John, John Key this week, the New Zealand Prime Minister, where he was uh, rallying his nation and against fierce opposition, calling his nation into uh, engagement, further military engagement in Iraq. Uh, whether you agree with the decision or not, just the passion and the courage of the man. I, I, I posted on, my, on, on Facebook. Um, I'm glad I did. You can be the third person to like it if, you, uh, if you'd like to. Um, um, it's there. It's powerful speech. Wow. Really like that. Uh, a man who's prepared to push through the barrier of fear to get the right job done or to get what he believed to be the right decision. So time, time to choose. A choice between fear or faith. Secondly, a choice between the obstacles or the objective. When... When we're really up against it, as the Israelites were, the obstacles tend to loom larger than life, don't they, on the horizon? I mean, you just, you see those, everything seems to be magnified when you're really up against it. Uh, Everyone in leadership knows how critical uh, this is. Whatever the obstacle, whether it's financial or whether it's relational, whether it's resistance to change, whether it's personal attack and criticism, most of us, I say us, have had all of those. It's imperative that we get what's classically called the the helicopter view. You've got to be able to rise above that, all the skirmishing, and see beyond to the the desired outcome, the desired objective. Those who journeyed with with me and with the team through the establishment of this wonderful complex. You'll recall how important it was during that period of building for me to make regular weekly visits to this Place and to just walk around the rubble and the cables that were hanging from the ceiling and it was just a mess, it was just a shell, it was disheartening in many ways. But I had to make that journey just to keep alive the fact that, that something was going to eventually happen. Some of us know how important it was to gather down in this corner, Karen Baker I know was among them and we put on hard hats and the first six to volunteer every week could come in and, and pray. Just down here, while the workmen would, they'd turn their radios back and uh, let us engage in that time. And these were critical times, all designed to remind us, remind me, remind the leaders, that despite the obstacles being placed before us by the council, despite the obstacles being placed before us by the developer, by the banks, even by some people in their own denomination, for goodness sake, despite all that, something was unfolding and ultimately God's vision that had come so clearly would be achieved. Well, the power of visualisation. I think I learned a lot about that in those days, the power of visualisation. You know. It was uh, Robert Schuller many years ago who said, you know, some people go through life with this attitude. Yeah, well, I'll believe it when I see it. He said, the real visionaries go through life with the attitude, I'll see it because I believe it and I believe it's going to happen. Well, all all the Israelites could see were the obstacles, the giants. Fear or faith, obstacle or or objective. Finally, faced with insurmountable odds, is it the familiarity of the past 
or the fresh possibilities of the future. Look at Numbers 14, verse 3. It's beyond the reading that was brought to us, but we've got to look at this. Look at this. Verse 3 of Numbers 14. Here's the people speaking. All the rumours have spread and (laughs) they've got traction. The naysayers. Why is the Lord taking us into that land? We'll be killed in battle. Our wives and children will be captured. And some of you know what's coming. Wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt? Oh, man, that that has got to be, I think, the saddest verse in the whole of the Bible. Wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt, given all they'd experienced at the hand of the Almighty? It's hard to imagine they would even think that, let alone verbalise it. Hard to believe. But wait a minute. Whoa, wait a minute. Before we're too harsh on these ancient Israelites, let's acknowledge that's a very natural human trait, isn't it? That's a very natural human tendency. I mean, when change and a certain degree of discomfort and a little shaking of the cages and a little movement of the, of the furniture, when, when that's imminent, when, when that's pending, we look back on the good old days or at least try to recreate those good old days in our minds, we, we tend to romanticise life as it was for us in that season. Remembering only the favourable aspects of that town, of that church, that ex-boyfriend or girlfriend, that holiday, only the favourable aspects. But a friend's life, and especially our life in Christ, it's not like that. It's not like that. I mean, life is always on the move. God is always on the move. Jesus is always on the move. And the quest for fulfilment and satisfaction and well-being in life for a Christian is not looking back and hankering for the past. It's about how we manage things in his strength right now. Right now. That's the key to fulfilment and success and effectiveness. We can't go back to the past. Mustn't expend energy on trying to recreate it in some way. Must move forward. Learn from the past? Absolutely. Treasure the past? Absolutely. I'm a great sentimentalist. Got to do all those things. But wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt? No. No way. Hey, look, contrast that. Contrast that tragic verse with what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and 14. You know this so well, but we've got to mention this. In contrast to this, I do not claim that I've already succeeded or have already become perfect. I keep striving to win the prize for which Christ Jesus has already won me to himself. Of course, my friends, I really do not think that I've already won it or, or made it. The one thing I do, however, is to forget what is behind me and do my best to reach what is ahead. Fantastic. What a contrast to the, the faithlessness of the Israelites. One week ago, just one week ago, I sat with a gentleman whose responsibility it is to move among the churches of his denomination, trying to get them, to put it colloquially, fired up. Get them to have a fresh look at their mission, get them to work out ways of reaching their community more effectively, being more relevant, contemporary. That's his role in this denomination. And as we had coffee together, I'm sure I sensed a little bit of moisture in his eyes when he said, Graham, I've been in this job for 12 months. I said, you know, what I'm finding is that so many churches, all they want to do is 
recreate the past and, and, and just preserve that which they've always done. Not interested in reaching out, very comfortable. And he was just at a crossroads. We kind of wondering if he's going to keep pressing on or not. I was there to encourage him to keep pressing on, believing that you only need one or two breakthroughs and that can start something quite significant. This is relevant for me because I'm now ministering in a church that this year turns 100. Yeah. Blackwood Church of Christ has its centenary year this year. Now, friends, my constant message to the good people of Blackwood at the moment is join me in daring to believe. It's a a very risky journey, but please join me in daring to believe that the very best, most effective, most exciting years for Blackwood Church of Christ may not be behind us. They just may be ahead of it. I, I can't guarantee, but at least let's consider that that is a God-inspiring possibility, a God-affirming, God-honouring possibility. It will largely depend on the voices that they listen to. It will largely depend on the choices they make. Those, those ancient wilderness wanderers, they listen to the inner voices of doubt and fear and inadequacy. In reality, this is what was happening, the bulk of the Israelites compared the giants to themselves. They became totally preoccupied with their ability or their inability to combat the giants in their own strength. That's all they were thinking about. How are we going to do it? We just little mean people. We felt as small as grasshoppers. In contrast, Moses, Aaron, Joshua, Caleb, they compared the giants to their God. And therein, friends, lies the difference. Look at the words of Caleb. Filled with a keen sense of awareness of the power of God. Verse 30, read to us earlier. We should attack now. Take the land. We are strong enough to conquer it. I find that's very reminiscent of a verse that was penned hundreds and hundreds of years after Caleb, after Caleb died. And uh, you might even be one step ahead of me. You might be thinking of the same verse, Romans 8. Romans 8, 31. In view of all this, what can we say? If God is... For us, who can be against us? Now, friends, that's the strong conviction that beats deeply within the heart of the follower of Jesus Christ. If God is for us, I mean, if he's in this, if he's in this, who can be against us? Well, those of you who know me well know exactly where this message is going to land. (laughs) It's going to land on a little airstrip called Vision. Because that's what this is all about. That's what this passage is all about. It's about vision. That's essentially what we've been talking about. What is the vision you have for your life today? Irrespective of your age. or What is the vision you have personally, professionally, in terms of your service for God, your involvement in his mission? And are, you develop, are you asking him to give you a vision of the part you're going to play in the new emerging north side? Which is going to be fantastic. Is fantastic right now. What about the new vision of this church, which is, as I mentioned, slowly unfolding? It's in embryonic phase. Look at the, look what this team is doing and the leaders are doing. It's phenomenal. It's just beginning. As the vision for your life and for this church begins to unfold, friends, there'll be many voices, many voices that will 
become apparent. And your challenge and my challenge, and it's the challenge of God's people everywhere, is to respond to the right voices and make the courageous choices we can in his strength. It's an amazing thing, Vision. The Bible says without it, people perish. Get your head around that. <laughs> Not necessarily physically, but like you just die within if you haven't got a vision. And that tragically is the plight of so many in our world today. And it's one of the massive problems we face at the international level. So many people without a vision, without a hope. The Bible says people without it perish. Charles Swindoll, um, a, a world-renowned author and pastor who agrees with me on so many issues. Um, he, uh, he says this about vision. He says, vision is essential for survival. It is nurtured by faith. It is sustained by hope. It is sparked by imagination, strengthened by enthusiasm. It is greater than sight, deeper than a dream, broader than an idea. Vision encompasses vast vistas outside the realm of the predictable, the safe, the expected. He concludes, and I agree with him, no wonder we perish without it. That's it. God bless you guys as you continue, I believe, to make the courageous choices despite the conflicting voices. It's the only place to be as the people of God. Let's bear in prayer, shall we?